From Pasch to Sabartad's Conversion, Part 13 Jesus and Ginia and Adaroth He confounds the wickedness of the Pharisees. When Jesus with his five disciples left the inn near Sychar, he journeyed leaving Tebez to the right and Samaria to the left, six hours further on to the city of Ginia, or Jinim, situated in a valley on the boundary of Samaria and Galilee. Late in the evening they enter Ginia, their garments still tucked up, and, as the Sabbath had begun, they went straight to the synagogue. The disciples who had journeyed on before them were likewise present. On leaving the synagogue, they went all together to a country seat belonging to Lazarus, and which lay up among the mountains. Nearby was little Thirza, where Jesus had already put up, where also Mary and Joseph on their journey to Bethlehem had received lodgings. The steward, man whose manners breathed the simplicity of ancient times, had many children. Jesus and his disciples spent the night there. The country seat may have been about three-quarters of an hour distant from Ginia. The holy women, on their return journey from Sychar, had spent the night in Tebez. The day of Jesus' arrival here, the day before the Sabbath, was a fast in expiation of the murmuring of the children of Israel. On the Sabbath, Jesus taught in the synagogue. The passages read from Holy Scriptures referred to the journey through the wilderness, the parceling out of the land of Canaan, and to something in Jeremiah's. Jesus interpreted all as bearing reference to the nearness of the kingdom of God. He spoke of the murmuring of the children of Israel in the desert, saying that they would have taken a much shorter way to the promised land had they kept the commandments that God gave them on Sinai. But on account of their sins, they were obliged to wander, and they that murmured died in the desert. And so, too, would they among his present hearers wander in the desert and die therein, if they murmured against the kingdom that was now at hand, and with it the final mercy of God. Their life had been an image of that wandering in the desert, but they should now go by the shortest way to the promised kingdom of God, which will be pointed out to them. He referred also to the dissatisfaction of the children of Israel, with the judgeship of Samuel, their clamoring after a king, and the receiving one in Saul. Now, when the prophecy was fulfilled, when on account of their impiety the scepter had passed from Judah, they were again sighing for a king and for the reestablishment of the kingdom. God would send them a king, their true king, just as the Lord of the vineyard had sent his own son after his servants had been murdered by the unfaithful vine dressers. But in the same way would they too expel their king and put him to death. He also explained those verses of the Psalms that speak of the cornerstone rejected by the builders, applying them to the son of the Lord of the vineyard, and spoke of the punishment that would fall upon Jerusalem. The temple, he said, would not exist much longer, and Jerusalem itself would soon be unrecognizable. He referred likewise to Elias and Lysias. There were twelve obstinate Pharisees at this instruction, and when it was over, they disputed with Jesus. They pointed to a roll of parchment and asked what was meant by Jonas's lying three days in the whale's belly. Jesus answered, In like manner will your king, the Messiah, lie three days in the grave, descend into Abraham's bosom, and then rise again. They laughed at that. Then three of the Pharisees came forward and, full of hypocrisy, said, Venerable Rabbi, you speak always of the tell us, which is that shortest way? Jesus answered, Know ye the Ten Commandments given in Sinai? They answered, Yes. He went on. 
Observe the first of them, and love your neighbor as yourself. Lay not upon those under you heavy burdens that you do not impose upon yourselves. That is the way. They replied, We know all that. Jesus rejoined, That you know all this, and yet do nothing of it, constitutes your guilt. Therefore will you be chastised. And he reproached them for burning the people with unnecessary prescriptions, while they themselves did not observe the law itself, for that was especially the case in this city. He alluded also to the priestly robes prescribed by God to Moses, and of their mysterious signification. He convicted them of their non-fulfillment of these matters, for which they substituted many perversions and external forms. The Pharisees were highly exasperated, but they could not get the better of Jesus. They repeated to one another, He is the prophet from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, forsooth. Most of them left the synagogue before Jesus had concluded his discourse. Only one remained till the end and invited Jesus and his disciples to a repast. He was better than the rest, though still a lurker. Some sick persons had been brought and placed outside the synagogue, and the Pharisees requested Jesus to cure them, that thereby they might see a sign. But Jesus refused to perform any cure, saying that they would not believe in him, therefore they should see no sign. Their real aim was to tempt him to heal on the Sabbath, that they might have something for which to bring an action against him. When the Sabbath was over, most of the disciples from Galilee returned to their homes, but Jesus with Saturnin and two other disciples went back to Lazarus's country seat. How touching to see him giving instructions to the children of the steward and those of the neighbors, first to the boys and then to the girls. He spoke of obedience to parents and of reverence for old age. The Father in heaven had appointed for them their fathers, as much as they honored them, so much also would they honor their heavenly Father. He spoke likewise of the children of the sons of Jacob and of those of Israel, telling how they had murmured, and for that reason had not been allowed to enter the promised land, a land that was so beautiful. Then he pointed to the fine trees and fruits in the garden, and told them of the heavenly kingdom promised to them that keep the commandments of God. It was far more glorious and beautiful than the lovely garden in which they were. That garden, compared with the heavenly one, was nothing more than a desert. They must then be obedient, and submit thankfully to the decrees of God in their regard. They must never murmur, that thereby they might not be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. They must not doubt concerning the beauty of that kingdom, as the Israelites did in the desert. They must believe it to be far above, yes, a thousand times more magnificent than what they then saw before them. And lastly, they should have it often in their thoughts, in order to merit it by their daily toil and labors. During these instructions, Jesus had the smaller ones right in front of him. He lifted some of them up to his breast, or encircled a couple of them with his arms. From Lazarus's country seat, Jesus went with the three disciples again southward, about four hours, back toward Adarath, one of the chief cities of the Sadducees, lying among the mountains. The Sadducees of this place, like the Pharisees of Genabras, had in consequence of what had taken place at the Pasch, persecuted the disciples, imprisoned several of them, and tormented them with judicial interrogatories. Some of them also had lately been in Sikhar, and had listened insidiously to Jesus' instructions, in which he had censored the harshness of the Pharisees and Sadducees toward the Samaritans. They had then resolved upon a plan to ensnare Jesus, and it was in pursuance of the same that they had engaged him to celebrate the Sabbath of Adaroth. 
but he knew of their doings, and so went by a different route to Judea. They had, however, concerted with the Pharisees of Judea, and on the morning of the Sabbath they sent messengers to say to Jesus, Thou hast taught beautiful things concerning the love of one's neighbor. Thou sayest that one should love his neighbor as himself. Come then to Adarath, and heal one of our sick. Thou showest us a sign, we, as well as the Pharisees of Judea, will all believe in thee, and we shall spread thy doctrines throughout the country. Jesus knew their wickedness, and the plot they had laid to entrap him. The man whom, as they pretended, they wanted him to cure, had already for several days lain stiff and dead. But they declared to all the people of the city that he was only in trance. His wife herself did not know that he was dead. Had Jesus raised him up, they would have said that he was not dead. They went to meet Jesus and conducted him to the house of the dead man, who had been one of the leaders of the Pharisees that had been most active in annoying the disciples. They are carrying the corpse on a litter and out to the street as Jesus came up. There are about fifteen Sadducees and a crowd of people standing around. The corpse presented quite a fine appearance, for they had opened and embalmed it, and bed the better to deceive Jesus. But Jesus said, This man is dead, and dead he will remain. They replied that he was only in a trance, and if he was indeed dead, he had only just now died. Jesus responded, He denied the resurrection of the dead, therefore he will not now arise. You have filled him with spices, but behold, with what spices? Uncover his breast. Thereupon I saw one of them raise the skin like a lid from the dead man's breast, when there broke forth a swarm of worms, squirming and straining to get out. The Sadducees were furious, for Jesus rehearsed aloud and openly all the dead man's sins and delinquencies, saying that these were the worms of his bad conscience, which he had in life covered up, but which were now gnawing at his heart. He reproached them with their deceit and evil design, and spoke very severely of the Sadducees, and of the judgment that would fall upon Jerusalem, upon all that would not accept salvation. They hurried the corpse back again into the house. The scene was one of frightful alarm and confusion. As Jesus with the disciples was going to the gate of the city, the excited rabble cast stones after them. They were incited thereto by the Sadducees, whom the discovery of the worms of their own wickedness had infuriated. Among the wicked mob there were, however, some well-intentioned persons who shed tears. In a by-street lived some infirm women sick with a bloody flux. They believed in Jesus, and from a distance implored his aid, for, as unclean, they dared not approach him. Knowing their need, he compassionately went through their street. When he had passed, they followed in his footsteps, kissing them. He looked around upon them, and they were healed. Jesus went on for almost three hours to a hill in the neighborhood of Anganim, a place lying almost in line with Ginea, though in another valley some hours to the south. It was on the direct route to Nazareth, through Endor and Naim, about seven hours from the latter. Jesus spent the night on this hill, in the shed of a public inn where, too, he took some refreshment brought from Galilee by the disciples who had come thither to meet him. They were Andrew, the bridegroom Nathaniel, and two servants of the so-called centurion of Capernaum. They urged Jesus to hurry, as the man's son was so ill. Jesus replied that he would go at the right time. The centurion was a retired officer who had once been governor of a part of Galilee under Herod Antipas. He was a well-disposed man, and in the late persecution had protected the disciples against the Pharisees. He had also provided them with money and other necessaries. As yet, however, he was not quite believing, 
although he put faith in the miracles. He was very desirous of one on behalf of his son, both through natural affection and also to put the Pharisees to shame. Disciples likewise were eager for it, saying with him, that the Pharisees will be furious, that they will see who he is that we follow. It was in this spirit that Andrew and Nathaniel had undertaken the commission to Jesus, who knew well the bottom of their heart. He gave another instruction the next morning when the two servants of the centurion were converted. They were pagan slaves and had brought food with them. They now returned with Andrew and Nathaniel to Capernaum. Part 14. Jesus in Enganum and Name From the inn on the hill, Jesus proceeded to Enganum, which was not far off. He was accompanied by Saturnin, by the son of the bridegroom of Cana's maternal aunt, and by the son of the widow of Obed of Jerusalem, a youth of about sixteen years. Jesus had some distant relatives in this place. They were Asinians of Anne's family. They received Jesus very respectfully, and as an intimate friend. They dwelt apart at one side of the city, and led a very pure life, many of them being unmarried and living together as in a cloister. They, however, no longer strictly observed the ancient discipline of the Sinians. They dressed like others and frequented the synagogue. They supported and got them a kind of hospital that was full of the sick and suffering of all sects, and where the poor were fed at long tables. They received all that presented themselves, supported them, and cared for them. In the dormitories of the sick, they always put the bed of a bad man between two good ones that, by their exhortations, they might try to make him better. Jesus visited this hospital and healed some of the sick. Jesus taught the whole day in the synagogue of Enganum. Crowds had come hither from the country around, and because the synagogue could not accommodate them all, they remained in troops outside. When one crowd came out, another went in. Jesus taught here as at other places on this journey, only not so severely since these people were well disposed. It was then as now, the people of the different localities being well or ill-disposed according to the good or bad dispositions of their priests. Jesus told them that he would cure the sick after the instructions. He taught of the nearness of the kingdom and of the coming of the Messiah, sending passages from the scriptures and the prophets and proving that the time had arrived. He mentioned to Elias his words and his visions, giving the date of the latter and telling his hearers that the prophet had raised an altar and a grotto to the honor of the mother of the future Messiah. He made a calculation of the time, which could be no other than the present, warned them that the scepter had been taken from Judah, and recalled to them the journey of the three kings. Jesus referred to all these facts in a general way, as of speaking of a third person, making no mention at all of his mother and himself. He spoke also of compassion, recommending them to treat the Samaritans kindly, and explained the parable of the Samaritan, though without mentioning Jericho. He told them of his own experience of the Samaritans, that they were more willing to assist the Jews than the Jews them. He related the circumstance of the Samaritan woman, of her giving him to drink, a piece of courtesy that a Jew would not so easily have shown a Samaritan, and how well her people in general had received him. He taught here also of the chastisement in store for Jerusalem and the publicans, of whom some dwelt in the country around. While Jesus was teaching in this synagogue, numbers of sick from the city and the whole surrounding district were brought thither. They were laid on litters and cushions, under awnings all along the streets by which Jesus was to pass, their friends standing by them. It was the rule that all sick of the same disease should be placed together. It was like a great fair of suffering people. 
Jesus came out from the instruction, passed along through the sick, who humbly implored his aid, and while instructing and admonishing, cured about forty persons, lame, blind, dumb, gouty, dropsical, fever-stricken, etc. I did not see any possessed here. As the multitude was so great, Jesus went upon a little hill that was in the city, and there taught. But the throng at last became such that the people pressed into houses, mounted to the roofs, and even broke down the walls. Seeing this confusion, Jesus disappeared in the crowd, left the city, and took a steep byway into the mountains, where there was a solitary place. His three disciples followed, but after long seeking found him not till night. He was praying. They asked him how they too should occupy themselves in prayer, and he gave them, in few words, some petitions of the Our Father. For instance, Hallowed be thy name. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us and deliver us from evil. He added, Now say these words and put them in practice. And he gave them on this point some admirable instructions. They were very faithful in following his injunction whenever he did not converse with them, or when he walked alone. The disciples always carried with them now some food and pouches, and when other wayfarers passed, even off on the byways, they hurried after them in obedience to the words of Jesus, and shared with them, especially if they were poor, whatever they needed. And Ganem was a Levitical city. It was built on the declivity of a valley that extended toward Jezreel across the claw of a mountain range that ran in an easterly direction. A brook flowed northward through the valley. The inhabitants carried on spinning and the manufacture of cloth for priest's vestments. They made also tassels, silk fringes, and balls for trimming the borders of these robes, upon which the women sewed. The people here were very good. Jesus passed Jezreel and Endor, and toward evening arrived at Naim. He went unnoticed to an inn outside the city. The widow of Naim, a sister of the wife of James the Greater, had been informed by Andrew and Nathaniel of Jesus' near approach, and she was awaiting his arrival. With another widow, she now went out to the inn to welcome him. They cast themselves veiled at his feet. The widow of Naim begged Jesus to accept the offer of the other good widow, who wished to put all she possessed into the treasury of the holy woman for the maintenance of the disciples and for the poor, whom she herself also wanted to serve. Jesus graciously accepted her offer, while he instructed and consoled her and her friend. They had brought some provisions for a past, which, along with a sum of money, they handed over to the disciples. The latter was sent to the women at Capernaum and for the common treasury. Jesus took some rest here with the disciples. He had, on the preceding day, taught in Ganem with indescribable effort and had cured the sick, after which he had journeyed thence to Nain, a distance of about seven hours. The widow, lately introduced to Jesus, told him of another woman named Mary, who likewise desired to give what she possessed for the support of the disciples. But Jesus replied that she should keep it till later when it would be more needed. This woman was an adulteress and had been, on account of her infidelity, repudiated by her husband, a rich Jew of Damascus. She had heard of Jesus' mercy to sinners, was very much touched, and had no other desire than to do penance and be restored to grace. She had visited Martha, with whose family she was distantly related, and had confessed to her her transgression, and begged her to intercede for her with the mother of Jesus. She gave over to her also a part of her wealth. Martha, Johanna Chusa, and Veronica, full of compassion for the sinner, interested themselves in her case and took her at once to Mary's dwelling at Capernaum. Mary looked at her gravely 
and allowed her to stand for a long time at a distance. But the woman supplicated with burning tears and vehement sorrow. O mother of the prophet, intercede for me with thy son, that I may find favor with God. She was possessed by a dumb devil, and had to be guarded, for in her paroxysms she could not cry for help, and the devil drove her into fire or water. When she came again to herself, she would lie in a quarter weeping piteously. Mary sent in behalf of the unhappy creature a messenger to Jesus, who replied that he would come in good time and heal her.